Also, Kim, um, from the last time, I, I really enjoyed when we stopped after more difficult paragraphs and discussed it right away instead of waiting and discussing at the end. I like that too. So let's let's pause. Trouty, you want to take it from here? Well, I thought there was some interest that somebody else would take it. No? Uh, no, it's great if you want to do it. <laughs> okay, I will tell you, I don't want to do it. Thank you for the offer. Oh, you don't want to do it. Okay, who wants to lead to that? Well, we should share it around, so. What does it mean to Definitely, lead? Well, let's do it, have someone who's, who's done it before, but basically what we do is we read <coughs> approximately to eight o'clock when we find a good stopping point. Then we write or sit for 10 minutes, whatever you want to do, and then we discuss. And we read one paragraph at a time. And then at the end of the paragraph, there we pause and people, if they have any questions um, or comments, can then talk. So sometimes we might just get through a few pages. This is called the slowest reading group. We've been doing the same thing in the open secret uh, right. group and in women in Zen. So, right. Yes. Christian, do you want to leave it? Lead again? I mean, not in particular. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie? As fun as it was, I enjoyed it, but. Gail? You know, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and do it. Okay, thank you, Gail. Yeah. Um, especially, Gail, especially since we're dealing with karma. Oh. <laughs> um, Here, can I'll, someone tell me though where we are? Yes, I'm going to share the screen. It's one, page 116, chapter 11, uh, The Human Mind. Hmm. We go alphabetical, and you can look in the participant right. list to see so where you are. Right, it's it's alphabetical order. We do about a paragraph each. Yes. Unless the paragraph is really small, and then we read as much as we want. Um, okay, so I guess we're starting with is Christian. Christian must be first. Sure. All right. So let's see. We are at. So which paragraph? Um, when you see. Oh, there we go. The human mind. Okay. All right. The human mind. A samurai asked a Zen master, Do you believe in hell and paradise? The Zen master said, Yes, I believe. Then the samurai asked, Where are they? The Zen master said, you are a coward, samurai. Samurai must be brave, strong. Immediately the samurai got angry and tried to attack him with the sword. The Zen master said, oh, um, oh, oh, here is hell. At that moment, the samurai attained enlightenment. He realized, oh, that's right. So he put his sword back in his scabbard. The Zen master said, here is paradise. This story shows the moving and changing nature of the human mind.
That is an amazing story. I really like that. I love it too. Yes. Uh, Daniel, I think you're next if we're going to go forward. When you see the term human mind, immediately mm -hmm. you ask what it is. What co compels you to ask? It is your own human mind. Your human mind wants to possess something as a concept, which becomes human knowledge. For this, Western psychology is a very useful science by which we study human life and the individual self from a particular angle. But no matter how hard you try to understand human life by mastering concepts, still it is difficult, it is very difficult to pin down the total picture of human life. I think there's an E. Oh. I can see you, Emily. Is there another uh, E? I'm used to Ellen being here, sorry. In Buddhism, yeah. yeah. In Buddhism, we also study human life and the individual self. So there is a kind of Buddhist psychology. We analyze the human mind, trying to learn what consciousness is and how our minds are working. So it is psychology. But on the other hand, our final goal is not to understand the human mind. It is to be free from the human mind. So simultaneously, it is not psychology. History of Buddhist psychology. People often use words such as mind, spirit, or soul to represent something opposite to a material state of being. But we don't really know what those words mean exactly. For many, many years, centuries, Buddhists have tried to know the meaning of mind. It is a very big problem for us. And I think alphabetically that might be, is it Genevieve? Genevieve. Genevieve. Oh, pretty name. Genevieve. Oh, yeah, you have it there, Genevieve. <laughs> Ancient Genevieve. Buddhist scriptures, such as the Lotus Sutra, the, <clears throat> the Vimalakirti Sutra, or the Prajnaparamita Sutra, all emphasize the existence of mind but the term mind isn't always used in the same way. Sometimes mind represents the conscious human mind, and sometimes it represents all that exists in the world of phenomena, including the human mind. What's the difference? They don't explain. If you study ancient scriptures, you always have to figure out what the term mind means. This was a big problem. So as Buddhism developed, people gradually began to study what is the difference between the human mind and phenomenal existence. So Trouty, we're counting on you to interject here and bring some clarity when, well, when, when, when you can and want to. Well, I... I I don't know whether there is some lack of uh, clarity in, in this. It's sort of 
a preamble to what is coming, right? Yeah. In the second century, the philosopher Nagarjuna, I call him Nagarjuna. How do you pronounce his name, Trouty? Nagarjuna. Oh, okay. We're on the same page. Yeah. It's, yeah. I've really? Heard it, I've heard it pronounced um, uh, Nagarjuna. Um, but but it's it has the word, the name Arjuna in it, yes. which is Arjuna. It's really uh, in India, it's Arjun. It's Arjuna. And Naga is a, a name of actually of a tribe and of lots of different people as well. So mm -hmm. there is already N-A-G-A. And then Arjuna, so we have mm -hmm. two A's, and that means it will be a long A. Mm -hmm. So a long A is, is uh, pronounced uh, like an like an accentuate accentuation. Nagarjuna. Okay. My yeah. um, my husband of six years was Arjun, and oh. he had a lot of trouble with people calling him Arjun. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> In, in the second century, the philosopher Nar Nargarjuna realized that there is phenomenal existence, which includes the conscious human mind. And there is the original functioning of truth by which the human mind and all phenomenal existence are produced. That was the other word that was seemed so confusing is this truth with a capital T. So human consciousness and phenomenal existence have the same original nature. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Can Go you on. read it again? Can you read it again, sure. please? In the second century, the philosopher Nagarjuna realized that there is phenomenal existence, which includes the conscious human mind. And there is the original functioning of truth by which the human mind and all phenomenal existence are produced. So human consciousness and phenomenal existence of the same original nature. I completely do not understand that. None of those things. None of those things. None of those things seems to lead to any of the other things. I don't get it. Thank you, Jeanette. That's exactly how I feel. I've tried to connect the dots. I mean, big mind is phenomenal existence. I don't know what a capital truth means. And so I'm trying yeah, to- Yeah, the truth is troublesome because I, in, this, in this context, I do not know whether he mentioned truth. it uh, earlier. I, I also truth to find me, it very- to me. <laughs> Yeah, I think he might be talking about, you know, I know we, we read a little further last week. Um, on the next page, he, he has a statement where he says, uh, it, on 119, it's simply a dynamic state of being where your mind is simultaneously your own mind and also the mind of all sentient beings. In other world, words, all phenomenal existence. So it's talking about being your own mind um, as well as it, all, it's, it being full of all, all the universe existence at the same time as being itself. Okay, but here it says that the truth produces the human mind and produces phenomenal existence. Exactly, so our perception, I think what he's saying and my, my understanding of and, and, and having read some of and 
forgive me for, for using this pronunciation because I'm so used to using it, Nagarjuna. Um, <laughs> um, um, you know, he, he talks about that, um, that, that I think that is the truth that he's looking for, that our perspective is, it uh, produces, it is, um, it's all we have to be able to make of existence. It is what we, you know, um, we, we create our own reality through our perception. Yeah, but, Christian, I would say that, I would say that when I hear the word truth with a capital T, I almost think of uh, the word reality. You, you think know, of reality? The, the word of what? I think of the word, I think of the word reality. Sure. Oh. Re, you know, life as it is. Yeah. And, reality. And in, as you opposed know, and, and to that, I, in, like in contrast with that idea, I mean, the, our perceptions, as I understand them, are, are the dream, the delusion that we're in. They're not, um, they're not the essence. Not, a, not if we're seeing reality as it is, as an interdependent, coexistent field that is the universe, right? If we're living under delusion, but Buddha talks about being able to connect with enlightenment and awakeness in this life right in this in, in, in our experience right so um yeah yeah i think i, I yeah i think that's i mean and there's there's also the idea that i think we mentioned last time and trotty's mentioned many times is not one not two that <laughs> yeah. that, that we're unique individual beings and we're part of this the whole picture sure yeah. So that's yeah. what he's saying, though. And trying to trying to actually pin down um, a label or a word is very difficult. I I was in um, uh, talking to Flint about truth years ago. I came in to practice discussion full of myself, and I said, <laughs> "I'm trying to figure out in meditation what it what it means, what truth means. What's the truth?" And he kind of says, well, what did you come up with? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and he goes, oh, he says, that's good. <laughs> but knowing is the most intimate, right? Not knowing. Yeah, yeah not knowing. Yeah, that's it, a koan that we, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not not knowing. And so I, I recognize the tendency of my my um, human mind thing and have a definition for it. And yet I think what we're always being asked for is to kind of um, feel into what this means to us, you know, in, in many ways. So I'd like to pause as a moment because we could all just like pull back from what, just bear with me if you will be kind and bear with me. Um, words matter, especially in a practice that promotes the concept of clarity and seeing things just as they are. And what he uses is truth, the capital T, and claims that it produces human mind. Well, earlier he talks about conscious human mind. If the truth we were talking, are, we are talking about equals life as it is, the conscious human mind does not necessarily produce that. So this is why I'm having trouble with this sentence. The conscious human mind 
produces, for the most part, unless it has been trained, constructs. And we live with constructs. And so that's why there's a dissonance in this statement for me with someone who is writing a book to try to bring clarity to the practice. Because if truth, life as it is, let's assume that's what it means, produces human mind, I don't think truth produces constructs. And that's what conscious human mind generally does. I do believe that truth, life as it is, produces all phenomenal existence. So I am having dissonance and I have listened to everyone say something, but it still does not um, resonate. So help. <laughs> did that, I, did I make or just, sense? Or just sit with it, um, you know, and see, see what, what comes when we continue to read. Also, if truth is all of reality, human consciousness is also an aspect of that reality. You know, whether, yeah. whether it's delusional or not, it's all, <laughs> there's nothing outside of. Um, all phenomenal existence. So even, even constructs, you're saying that if all phenomenal existence includes our constructs, our reactivity, our stories we make, then that's part of this big word truth. I think it is, yeah. I you know, can. I, that makes sense to me. Does I, it? Because yeah. I, I, for example, let's take the construct that, oh, my mother died when I was eight, and therefore I was never worth loving. That's not truth. That's my construction of what happened, and so I have a problem with using truth to to contain these kinds of very. Um, unbalanced uh, and and warped yeah I, I, that is your truth at that moment i think you but know, it isn't the right. truth it doesn't no, the fact no. that i believed my mother didn't love me doesn't mean she didn't love me agreed yeah, yeah for I sure agree, Genevieve. I, th I think when we start talk making truth claims any any religion any any entity any spiritual leader i think it's kind of a slippery slope and I wonder if it's an, even necessary to, to claim an ultimate truth. Um, and it's more about um, the, the practice and, and so forth. And whether it's even, whether it's even a valid question, I guess, just something to consider. May I yeah. ask, Trouty? Well, tra wait, wait, Nelda, your first, the first thing you said about about defining words, what, what was that, that, that? That words had to have a specific definition or something? What, what I was saying is that this is a book about clarifying our practice. And so words matter when we're trying to clarify. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't think we're, clarification, you know, like where Trotty just was, was telling us not, not knowing is most intimate or something. Clarification isn't necessarily pinning things down, but it's getting more like like the sense of them. And it, so, this, may, this sentence may be a koan because it seems contradictory. And so on that note, yeah. So Trouty, I love, one of the many reasons I love Trouty is that she's a world known expert 
please, please, please. No, 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 I know you're so humble, but you are, Trouty. So with your with your background, can you bring more clarity? Because I'll sit with this koan for the rest of my life if I have to, but in the <laughs> in the moment, I'm like, what? <laughs> Well, I wanted to say something, but I, I was glad that such a discussion actually occurred. So that is, that is wonderful. When I heard you speaking and sort of questioning the formulation of the words uh, in, in that sentence, especially the second half, uh, the way you, you expressed it, actually you gave a clarification. You, you said it in different words. And I, I cannot really, I did not write them down and I don't remember them exactly. But when you, when you said that you questioned um, about the original functioning of truth, that it's possible that it can produce something, you paraphrased there something. And that was actually, to me, a clarification of this statement or opening the statement further. So I, I think you, uh, you probably, because you saw it printed, so it probably looms large, but I think you expressed it in your own way. Do, do, do you have it written down or you have <laughs> No, okay, well. <laughs> no, but no, but I, I don't wanna take up time repeating it. I, I don't wanna spend, I mean, I don't wanna take from other people's time on my, on my uh, being unable to grasp this. I, I think this is all our question. I, uh, well, I'll join in and, and be confused too, Nelda. So this is not easy stuff. That's why we're reading it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we took the, I mean, this is a very rich paragraph. I'm glad we took the time to discuss it. So. You know, I, I think of another um, spiritual teacher that I listened to and he said that um, when he teaches, he attempts to fail well because he knows that whatever he says, you know, is going to be not it, not 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 the ultimate truth, but a pointer to it. And he's trying his very well. So, you know, he's trying his very best <laughs> to, to help to point, you know, point uh, to us what truth is. Did we want to continue or? Yeah, so um, I'll read the next paragraph. Uh, but there was still trouble because okay. that didn't explain the difference between the original nature of the mind and phenomenal existence, which includes the conscious human mind. Philosophers just said that without the functioning of mind, <coughs> it's impossible to recognize phenomenal existence. And without phenomenal existence, it's impossible to recognize the functioning of truth. Um, who's next? Is it Malene? Yeah, me. Milan. Uh, <laughs> Milan. Milan. In Spanish. Thank you. Buddhism always emphasizes. 
phenomenal existence can't exist alone. It must exist with truth. And on the other hand, truth can't exist alone. It must exist with phenomena. We say so because if you hold on, on to a one-sided idea of truth as the original nature of mind, then you completely forget the other side. Without the mind of phenomenal existence, you cannot understand the truth. But early, early philosophers didn't explain logically. They just offered the totally, the totally. It's, to it's totality. Totality, thank you. The totality of existence. May I ask a question? Sure, always. I would love to understand what someone's understanding of phenomenal existence is. Is that just everything that happens? Everything that exists. That exists, okay. I, I would say that it's everything that we experience through our senses, which I think is slightly different than just that everything exists. Well, but it would also be stuff that, that does happen or exist that we don't sense. Right, yeah. And how about a mirage of a camel down the road? Is yeah. that... That's all part of it, I think. Okay. So I would like to understand the definition because I haven't seen it of the truth. I think we all would, though. <laughs> well, well you, you know where how you mentioned deluded thoughts or someone did? I sense that it's certainly not that, right? So if I uh, imagine someone's right outside my window ready to kill me and, and you look out and you see there's no one there, that's not truth. I don't know if I helped. Okay, forget that. <laughs> Who's next? But uh, Trouty, I'm curious. In Sanskrit, is this a concept? Truth? What's the word? Satya. And and what does it mean? What's well, the literal truth definition? Like in Satyagraha, which probably is the word that uh, traveled the world. That uh, was. Gandhi's fight for independence, etc. Lots of other things. Isn't the root such? Yes, it's uh, yeah. The, that's important. It is really uh, coming from the root verbal root as. Uh, asti would be is, is just exists. Um, <clears throat> That's and, helpful. Uh, pardon me? That's helpful that it's what exists. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, after our, our, la our session last week, I was looking, reading some of other of Nagarjuna's material. And I did find reference to truth. And he uses it in what I was reading simultaneously uh, or as a synonym for emptiness and the middle way, both. All three of the all all three of those things are the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was that was his expressly. Uh, yeah, the truth, the the base yeah. of of everything. Yes. Maybe that helps. I don't know. So. 
No, thank you. Sure. I think it's, uh, is it Nelda next? Yes. So um, I'm going to read the last sentence of the previous paragraph as a continuity. But early philosophers didn't explain logically. They just offered the totality of existence. It was like putting a lot of delicious dishes on one big plate, American pizza, Japanese sushi, Chinese ramen. They didn't explain that sushi and pizza are different. They just emphasized that sushi can't exist alone. Sushi must exist with pizza. Pizza must exist with sushi. In other words, all sentient beings are interconnected. So they put all kinds of food on one plate for you to accept without discrimination. And then they offer it to you. Here it is. This is your food. Please eat. So Buddhists in ancient times suffered because our human intelligence wants to know what the difference is. But philosophers didn't have a satisfactory explanation. Okay, so who's after Nelda? Um, uh, I'm looking for, uh, I think maybe Stephanie might be after Nelda. I'm yes. trying to figure out. Yes, sorry, sorry about that. I was thinking I was after Trouty, but I'm after Nelda. Finally, to satisfy our big balloon human head, in the fourth and fifth centuries, the Yogacara school tried to understand the difference and created Buddhist psychology. This is very nice for us. Yogacara made a logical explanation of the difference between the human mind and phenomenal existence. What knows and what is known, what sees and what is seen. In other words, subject and object. Right. I, you know, I was thinking that phenomenal, when I hear phenomenal, I hear form, the world, the world of form, which includes thoughts, everything that we perceive. It seems like that's what he's saying here. Subject and object. But then how do we tie that in with the idea of form is emptiness and emptiness is form? Well, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it seems a lot more solid than, than the Heart Sutra suggests, right? Doesn't it? Phenomenal existence. Well, it seems, it seems like materialism. Well, I think, it, I think it's speaking to the idea of interdependence and you know, I hate to always be the science guy and throw out some science stuff, but um, you know, relational physics um, is 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 speaks exactly to this that you know things only exist in relation to other things, right? And so I think it kind of ties in exactly to to what we're talking about here, just from a Buddhist psychology standpoint, when you're talking about form and, and emptiness. If that makes sense. Well, they arise at the same time because there can be no form without a subject to perceive it. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Just, exactly. Right. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> can I say something? It's all one thing. Yes. Please, Trouty. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so uh, um, uh, the term emptiness and um, I mean has been fully elaborated on by Nagarjuna and at that time I mean the the Buddhists uh, had lots of discussions with many other schools especially the Brahmanical um, theories and uh, the, the Brahmans, they, the Brahmanical, it wasn't called Hinduism yet, but the Brahmanical uh, schools, they um, had similar ambitions for enlightenment or freedom, whatever you may want to call it. But for them, uh, it was actually something that it would be a connection between the self, the Atman, and then the universal principle. And that uh, would, would be something substantial, especially the, the Atman, the self. So um, just briefly, for Nagarjuna, he wanted to emphasize that actually there is nothing substantive. And that's, that's actually how the word shunyata came about. So shunyata is an abstract word, like emptiness. And shunya itself means actually zero in math. Indians uh, have figured out how to have zero. <laughs> so it is an absence of something concrete, something uh, unchanging or, and form really stands for the body. I didn't know that. Well, the so there's kind of a parallel between between that's very interesting form and the body, and then conscious or or this uh, phenomenal existence and emptiness. Mm -hmm. But could you say like form is to the body as phenomenal existence is to emptiness, something like that? or the body is to form as phenomenal existence is to emptiness. Okay, so the body or form is one of the five skandhas, right? And the five skandhas form the human being if we need to talk in those terms, right? So <clears throat> it in reality, it does not necessarily exist because it, is, it cannot be considered permanent or anything like that. Therefore, it is empty. Right. Another way. To, another way. To, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What What does not exist? What What is not? What is empty? The body. Okay. The Atman. Mm -hmm. Anything that we. I mean, if we eventually um, can see properly or experience then we will see that actually those are just temporary forms. Yeah, okay. So, so in a, what you're saying is that emptiness is a way of saying impermanence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's another synonym. I mean, when I read verses from the center, Nagarjuna's work, another way I took it, which I think is another way of saying it, Trouty, is it's about emptying um, our own, ourselves of our ego, of ourself, 
-hmm. but filling ourselves with the interdependence and coexistence of the universe of phenomenon, really, when we're back talking to phenomenon. So it's another way of maybe articulating it. Yeah, well, thank you. Of which we can't really fill ourselves with because we are already part of it. So, you know, we, I mean, it's like, I, I, I guess I'm wondering, how can you feel yourself with something you are, a phenomenal existence, right? Well, I think the idea is, is that you do it by not resisting it and grasping and being attached to things, but flowing. I think part of the idea is, is being part of that interconnected flow in a way that is a lot lighter than being obsessed and grasping for, for certain mm -hmm. things. I think that's part of part of the idea anyways. And I'm sure there's different degrees of coming close to that goal, you know, like, I think it's not like, right. it's not like a lot of these people arrived at this overnight. <laughs> like they probably spent decades getting there. Yeah, that makes sense. Perhaps, I don't know. You would think. Well, in Soto Zen. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's see. Hey, Trouty, I think you're next. Yeah, you're next reading. So um, I don't see the top page. So am I starting on the human mind is very sticky? Yeah. Thank you. The human mind is very sticky. It is always looking for something to attach to. For instance, if you are eating pizza, there is an object for your mind, pizza. Your mind looks at pizza and tells you, this is your food. But the human mind doesn't only look outwardly, it also looks inwardly. So the object of your mind is not only pizza, it is also your own mind. You're eating pizza, and so you're looking at yourself. That is why you can say, I am eating pizza. Well, he's churning it on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, am I back up? I think so. Um, when, you recognize, when you recognize that you are eating pizza, you have confidence in your life. Um, I am here and I am eating pizza. There is a kind of security in your existence. Um, that's why Western philosopher um, Descartes said, I am thinking, therefore I exist. Descartes was a great philosopher because he realized that point. But there is something that your mind cannot recognize objectively. What is it? That is consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. I'm next. You hear the term consciousness and immediately you want to know what it is. But before you think about it, consciousness is already present in your life. Here it is. So consciousness exists, but not as something fixed that you can stick a label on. You cannot attach a label to it because it is completely beyond the limitation of, of concept. It's simply a dynamic state of being 
where your mind is simultaneously your own mind and also the mind of all sentient beings. In other words, all phenomenal existence. When you experience that true state of being directly and accept, the, and accept that dyna dynamism as your own life, then you know the real meaning of mind. Karmic energy and human consciousness. In Buddhist philosophy, psychology, the human mind is called vijnana. Did I say that right, Shardy? It's jnana. It jnana. doesn't have the diacritics. Okay. Jnana, a Sanskrit word that is translated as consciousness. In terms of the five skandhas that constitute human existence, jnana is the fifth one, which is called mind. The other four skandhas are form, rupa, feeling, vidana, perception, sanya, and impulses, samskara. I'm sorry if I tortured that. Characteristics of vijnana. vijnana. To understand our human consciousness called vijnana, we have to learn its two important characteristics. First, Viana possesses within itself potential energy by which it can carry itself on from one moment to moment. Second, this potential energy creates the phenomenal world, which includes human consciousness. This teaching is a little difficult to understand, but I will try to explain. According to the first characteristic, is it Viana or Yana, Traudi? Vijnana. Vijnana. Okay. According to the first characteristic of Vijnana, within a moment of time, there is potential energy. Consciousness uses that energy to carry itself on. To carry on means to nurture something from an immature state to a mature state. For example, when a baby is born, that baby is an immature being. Then, moment by moment, the time process nurtures the baby to become an adult. The same applies to the potential energy that has nurtured human consciousness from the beginningless past. So I have a question here. <laughs> and the question is, it's based on the last sentence and the, and the um, example of the baby being nurtured from an immature state to a mature state. Does the same applies to the potential energy that nurtured human consciousness from be the beginningless past mean that at some point, regardless of phenomenology, we are gonna become we, all existence, are going to become fully conscious? Is, is that how that's to be read? Because it's a potential energy. It means 
carry on, it nurtures something from an immature state to a mature state. So if that applies to consciousness, does that assume that at some distant point, consciousness on this vast cosmic level will be realized? I think so. Yay. <laughs> well, it is a parallel, right? But just to explain it. The Buddha said, I and all beings are enlightened. So, but they just don't, he didn't say it, but they don't realize it. But it, you're asking like, at some point, will they realize it? So if you imagine, yeah. I, and then you get into the concept of time. Is this a process that happens in time? And what is time anyway? I mean, there are some um, teachings that point to this has already been accomplished. It's all simultaneous, everything, every moment is mm -hmm. already. Interesting. Construct, so it's, it's already happened. We just don't realize it. Yeah. Right, which is why that I think um, God always talks about like the spectrum of some people, it takes 70 years to reach awareness or enlightenment. Some people inst like literally instantaneous um, are able to do it. And I know as unbelievable as that sounds, but it, I mean, it, that is in, in text. It does talk about that. So. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Who read it? Um, Kim, I think it's you now. Okay, but babies are nurtured by their mother's foods, food, and lots of things. <coughs> I didn't like the idea that babies are immature. I, more, <laughs> you know, that they're, they're immature adults, more that they're mature babies would be my view. But, but babies are nurtured by their mother's food and lots of things. So how can the potential energy of consciousness nurture itself? This is very interesting. The cause is phenomenal existence itself. In other words, a day-to-day -day reality of all sentient beings, which potential energy creates, is a direct cause of nurturing the potential energy by which consciousness can carry itself on from moment to moment. This is called karma. So that definition of karma just uh, well, let, maybe we should read on. Who's next? Me. Okay. Understanding karma as the direct cause of not nurturing potential energy is not the common meaning of karma. People often put a certain level on karma, and then it is called bad karma. You don't really know what it is, but you believe that something accumulated in your past life controls your present life. If you think in that way, then your life is based on the principle of fatalism. But karma doesn't behave in that way. Karma doesn't have any particular labels. It is really free. Um, of course, 
We cannot ignore karma coming from the beginningless past, but the direct cause of nurturing the potential energy by which our life is carried on to the next moment is the reality we create by our way of living right now. Anytime, anywhere, you can do something good for the future. So there is always a possibility to live toward your own future or for future generations. This is very important for us because we can have hope. We can have hope because of the second characteristic of Vijana. The potential energy that Vijana possesses creates the phenomenal world. How? Within the world of unity, all at once, life suddenly subtly begins to move toward difference. Then, according to a chain of causation, our life in the human world arises. That subtle original movement of life from oneness to multiplicity is the incipient moment. In the 12th, oh, maybe somebody wanted to say something. Did you want to say something, Trudy? No, I just started reading, but I <laughs> realized that maybe somebody wanted to say something. I like a little pause just so I could read the paragraph again <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, that makes me too. So that will be Stephanie, right? It was, it's my understanding we had someone, well, I heard a talk, but he, he claimed that in the first milliseconds of the Big Bang, everything was the same. It's the same thing here. And then things started to be different. But I really like that. You know, how did that moment occur where, where differences occurred? It's kind of interesting. If everything was the same, why, why, did, why was there a, like a flip of the switch? Hmm. And then all of a sudden difference came I don't know and and from that came our suffering <laughs> this feeling of separation you know we're kind of moving back I'm kind of moving back toward um, the feeling of unification really I I can't help thinking about the way uh, mammalian bodies develop from a single cell and then they split and then they split and then they split and then each of those things starts becoming devoted to separate purposes. And now look what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think um, it's Christian again, isn't it? No, I did not. No, it's Trouty. Oh, Trouty, okay. Yeah. In the 12-fold chain of causation, Pratitya Samutpada, the first link is Avidya, the very subtle vibration of mind that is called ignorance. Link two is Samskara, the formative forces of karma. Vijnana, human consciousness, is link three. Samskara accepts the movement of ignorance nurtures it, and then human consciousness arises based on the creative forces of karmic energy. The functioning of samskara means that before your human consciousness appears, 
the energy that supports your life is already there. Once human consciousness appears, it always it is always looking for an object. So name and form appear as the fourth link, followed by the sixth sense realms, and then contact, sensation, craving, grasping, and being. In Sanskrit, grasping is called apandana, the acquiring of karma. And the tenth link, being, is called bhava, your very existence. Just are short paragraphs, I can do both. The 11th link is birth, the appearance of your present life, which exists for exactly one moment. Then by your activity of living in that moment as a human being, you produce seeds of karmic energy that will mature in the future. Finally, in the 11th link, one moment of life is the phenomenal world. In the phenomenal world is passing away and immediately a new moment of life is arising. That new life appears based on the potential energy produced by causes and conditions created in the past. This is how Viana can na na nurture nurture itself and carry itself on from moment to moment. Um, so did we, it's, eight, it's a little after eight. Did we want to take uh, time to meditate now and talk later or do we want to continue to read? No, I think we should take our, uh, our break. Okay. Yeah. So for 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes to sit or write. So is there anything that struck anyone from what we've read and you know maybe uh, what came up as we were contemplating or maybe not thinking at all? <laughs> Well, I didn't, I have two cats sitting on me, so I didn't go and get my notebook and pen, um, but I wanted to write, and uh, I don't know why, and I couldn't remember very much, but this is what arose. <clears throat> Stars have died, yet are alive to me. I am witness to their presence when they no longer are. That's really that visual. It's, it's, it's true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, when we're talking about um, what we think we, we're seeing in the sky flamed out, we just didn't know. There was something uh, yes, yesterday or the day before about <coughs> seeing some uh, a planet from 300 light years ago. Would that make sense? Or 300 light years away? 
but it seems either way, the planet could possibly not exist anymore. Hmm. Jeanette, when I heard you read that, I thought about when you said, but are alive to me, I thought about how we all came from stardust. And although that star doesn't exist anymore, it really does because that stardust became earth dust and earth dust became us. So that star is still alive in each of us. So thank you for that. I thought of the same thing. I and mean, we literally are from the burnt out embers of, of stars. So that is, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so nothing ever dies. It just changes form, apparently. Or who knows? That's, that's impermanence for you. I was interested in the... Um, 12-fold chain of causation. We did a class in causation, I remember, with Peg, and I've forgotten a lot of it. Blink uh, is avidya, the very subtle vibration of mind that is called ignorance. And it's sort of like out of this pure potentiality, the first thing that arises is the forgetfulness or the ignorance that this is even happened <laughs> or happening um, I mean I mean it just seems uh, I heard um, in another um, place it said something to the effect of um, sort of like the multiplicity happened and God forgot to laugh <laughs> you know it's sort of like a forgetfulness happens mm. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Yeah, in some ways, I feel like forgetfulness can be the enemy of Zen. <laughs> um. And also knowing, knowing. Yeah, we're here to remember. Emily, what did you write? You, you're writing so beautiful. Oh, I didn't write. I was just thinking. It's funny. I was thinking about, um, I saw a little two-year-old patient today. That, and the visit didn't go exactly as expected. So he'll come back. And I was thinking about what are the things we can do to help the visit go better clinically, you know? And then uh, like I was meditating and all of a sudden I came into the state of being where it almost felt like, it's almost like he was observing me, thinking about him. And um, I was like, oh yeah, I'm meditating. <laughs> <laughs> let me just be with this little patient and um, stop thinking about the past or the future. You were trying to test this hearing? Yeah. Which is, you know, a two-year-old is not always the most cooperative patient, so. <laughs> I like that... Um you know, what you arrived at was just being with, you yeah. know, in yeah. an energetic way with this little thing, yeah. Yeah. 
I know they can they can test eyes on without any feedback by the patient. Is there a way of testing hearing? Yeah, mm -hmm. you can play games, and then there's other things that um, they don't have to respond for you to get a result, but they do have to be quiet and fairly still. I see. <laughs> Which is tough. <laughs> so. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? You're going to make me do mine? Mm hmm Okay. So there's a picture. You have to show us one of your, one of your, uh, yeah. There is a picture. There is a picture. <laughs> So, so this is the picture and there's the Mona Lisa and there's the burned out building that just killed 5,000 people in Ukraine wow. today. How is it that the harder we try to get answers, the more we are confused? How did an amoeba become one who could both paint the Mona Lisa and kill 5,000 innocents without batting an eye. Any, <coughs> any explanation, though initially comforting, is dissolved with persistent questioning. In the end, we can only conclude that we are swimming in the dire of confusion. So, I think I have to put, uh, like, make it underwater. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, ignorance. There it is. <laughs> Root. Avidya. We don't know what we are. <laughs> we have to be comfortable, I guess, since it's the only place we can really honestly be. I finally understood, and this is what came up for me. For me, it finally resonated the not knowing is most intimate. Um, it was like, oh, I get it. How do we sit with the dis-ease of the unknown? Because there is perpetually in life the unknown. We don't know how the amoeba and the and came from the, the same source as the mind that could brutally murder 5,000. I mean, and, and the intimate, I was wonder what does flint mean by is most intimate and in after this discussion and thank you all very much i realize that at least at the moment what it means for me is that going into my deepest self and seeing how i hold that how do i hold not knowing and knowing that most of what happens i will never have that knowing Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, like, ah, oh, I'm getting intimate with me and as a result, with the cosmos. So thank you all for the discussion. It was very helpful. It's also contrary to our education. Oh. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Joseph, Joseph Campbell, the myth mythologist, mm -hmm. um, said that um, 
we are in a, I'm paraphrasing, but we are in a free fall into the future and that um, only by, by embracing it, letting go, can we truly be free, right? And so I think that's exactly what we're talking about is that on some level, we can, I mean, we have to accept that we can't control things. And um, it, you know, the grasp, the grasping to do that is only, only has certain, you know, this, this only has a certain amount of value, if any. And we go to school to learn to control things. Exactly. Yes, to control everything. All ecosystems, yeah. Christian, were those the actual words embracing letting go? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, gosh, look at uh, the yeah, I, have, I, I have the quote somewhere. I could probably find it. I love that. Joseph Campbell is fantastic. Um, I wondered, you know, if there were some person who had passed away whom I could spend an afternoon with, and he was the one who came to mind. He's um, on my list too, Jeremy, for sure. <laughs> he's what? He's on my list too. <laughs> mm. Very special man. For sure. um, I had three thoughts, Nelda, while you were talking about that. So one is to be intimate with the unknowable we can't believe that we know. <laughs> and so relinquishing ourselves into the experience of not knowing is the only way we can experience intimacy with the unknowable. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the problem is, go ahead. Oh, um, oh God, what was it? Um, oh, I was also, for some reason, I thought of pre-verbal humans mm -hmm. and animals who haven't gotten into that mental state of naming and labeling and, and using words and deflecting things and covering things, you know, in order to be intimate with a pre-verbal person, you have to be fully present. You yeah. can't fake it, you know, you can't have a fake conversation with a two-year-old uh, or a one-and-a-half-year-old. They want to play games, and that involves making things up and being totally present together with. Um, and the last thing I thought of is that in my experience of learning languages, um, I've had to consciously say to myself, okay, I have no freaking idea what any of these words mean. And they're just flowing over me like a river. I completely have no bearings, but I'm just going to leap into the river and trust that eventually um, it will make some sense to me. Mm -hmm. And that's been an invaluable lesson for me in life is that willingness to be present with the unknown with what I don't get and that's how I felt today reading this stuff I was like I don't get this I don't get this nope I don't get that either and I was like oh here we go there's another opportunity to jump into the river that's a great metaphor thank you and also with the reality that we may never know I may never unravel this koan in this in this lifetime and mm -hmm. And so sometimes I sit with the, I'll figure it out someday, which is control, right? Yeah. 
And so when I was sitting with not knowing is most intimate, it was with that part of what if you never know what this means and seeing what that brought up. Wow. That was pretty darn intimate. Hmm. Yeah. Whenever you're fearful, when you think you don't know something, like let's say you're afraid of flying, you know, and you don't want to get on the airplane and you go, well, I don't know what's going to happen. What I've realized is that there's a part of me that thinks it does know and it's not good. Yeah. So real not, real not knowing is, it's a complete release of anything you believe might happen in some future scenario, which doesn't exist. I mean, it really just puts you right back into the present moment, uh, totally. I'm gonna share my screen real quick. Uh, I found that Joseph Campbell quote, if anyone's interested in it. Um, Forgive me, this is a presentation for class I teach. So <laughs> just on a slide, um, here it is. But here it is, it's, um, that's it. So there isn't letting go in there, but it's, that's it, we're gonna free fall in the future. Anxieties about unknown can be eliminated if we embrace uncertainty. And that's what Joseph Campbell, part of his, I'm sure many people know his, his, uh, yeah, I like that, that the two don't have to go together. Nelda, you mentioned disease from not, dis-ease, you know, from not knowing, but you can have, he's saying something different, isn't he? That it's okay. He's saying it's okay. Not only yeah. that, but you can you eliminate the anxiety. He's saying it liber it's a liberating, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can, you can embrace the dis-ease. You know, because that's what's present. That's what's happening. Like Nelda's saying, you get comfortable with what's actually happening right here, right now. Um, even if it's something you think you don't want, like anxiety or worry, you know. And uh, that's, that's an interesting, um, an interesting will, way to look at letting go. I will say it has taken me almost these 66 years to even contemplate getting comfortable with the not knowing because my role in my family was to put out all fires, you know, figurative and otherwise, because not to do that consistently spelled disaster. I mean, truly spelled disaster. So my lifelong training, and I was a divorce lawyer to not handle cases well, could spell disaster with abusive spouses or, you know, sexual abuse or any of that. So I've got this long pattern of not knowing equals disaster. And to even consider not knowing not spelling disaster has been quite the hard work of this practice for me. Thank Everyone. you. Thank you for sharing. Daniel and uh, Melanie, <laughs> you're so quiet, but uh, I know you've had thoughts too. I always love it when you share. 
It was a it was a difficult uh, reading for me tonight. So I'm yeah. really tired, but uh, I I liked uh, the last uh, almost the last paragraph that we read, and I changed it a little bit during the ten minutes, and um, and I, I modified the karma idea, saying my life appeared based on the potential energy produced by causes and conditions created in the past. Ah, uh, my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I got that idea for me. It makes it, uh, it brings it home in a different way instead of making it about somebody else or something else or, you know, yeah. Yeah, so we are grasping, but... <laughs> I needed to do it a little bit. Yeah. And Daniel, you just want to say hi. <laughs> hi. Um, yeah, I was the, um, the when we are talking about the truth and the 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 last quote about the uncertainty. Um, I was actually today morning uh, studying a little bit the word that I came across. I think in um, I, I think it was Alan Watts mentioning uh, the word is Yugen, uh, which I was trying to understand. And I think it's Japanese word, which explains some kind of um, uncertainty and um, unknown um, mystery that you actually never explore, but uh, it's something beautiful. And I was thinking that... Uh, this is maybe related to how we can see the truth uh, that we can never maybe explore it, but it's, it shouldn't be explored. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it came to me that the truth, it's changing all the time. It, you can't land on truth, at least the way I was understanding truth. I know there must be ultimate reality, but yeah, a mystery. What do you think? We're over time. <laughs> oh. How did I send you a message in the chat? Yeah, I, I was just, um, I just saw it, but I didn't have a chance to answer. Just letting you know. Thank you. Okay, till next week. Yes. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I'm so thank glad you. we went over this again. Thanks, everyone. All right. Be well. Thank you. Thank you all. Be well, too.